Well, Chase, we're back at it, dude. Yeah, we are back at it, man. <laughs> we are officially less than a week away from our spring turkey season starting here in Florida. Are you excited about that? <laughs> I am less excited about it than you are. <laughs> my, my turkey season uh, <laughs> is going to be woefully short this year, but um, it's okay. That just means I'm setting myself up for future seasons, right? That's what that means? I certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find I out hope it's here not shortly. Get less than this season, <laughs> if you're only going to be able to go <laughs> one weekend out of the yeah. entire season. But yeah. hey, man, you got you got to do what you got to do. It is. Yep, that's exactly how it rolls. But we just got done recording this week's episode, the the episode that you're going to hear after this intro, and I just have to say that that might be one of my one of those episodes. Well, you said it best. How did you describe that episode? I mean, I was mesmerized yeah. by, by the uh, – it was – like I said, there were there were some pauses between me and you because, I mean, <laughs> I was just listening, trying to take everything in from what uh, our guest had to say. Uh, it, it was difficult <laughs> to it was. even come up with the questions uh, when you got somebody that's that knowledgeable yeah. about so many different uh, game species. Well, and it just – it was just incredible. His depth of knowledge was just insane and, and his ability to – to relate it home to to listeners outside of his area, which, as you're going to find out, is relatively uh, small and unknown, I think, for most of the, the outdoor community. I think it's going to be a a hit with people. Do we want to tell them who it is, or do we want to let them, uh, in this episode, just it cut to the audio? They'll, they'll find out pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, they're probably going to find out from the, the title <laughs> That's of the true. show That's as well. True. <laughs> so we might as well just go ahead okay. and... Okay. And let them know who it is. I mean, I could title it a mystery guest. You could. But <laughs> we're, we're trying to work on our titles. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, guys, this week we've got Jay Scott of Jay Scout Outdoors. And I've just got to say, mesmerized is exactly where I was. This was one of those episodes where I was fully incapable of flowing from topic to topic. And he, he just drops knowledge bomb after knowledge bomb here. And um, we're going to get to that in a second. But... Uh, We've got some important news, and we haven't done one of these in a while, and uh, actually got some complaints about this, and, and uh, rightfully so. Um, normally, we do shout-outs on the podcast for all of our Patreon subscribers, uh, but for there for a while, uh, all of our episodes were recorded in bulk, and uh, we'd have people subscribe to Patreon, and then the episode was already recorded, and uh, so we didn't get a chance to include it. So we got to play catch-up. You ready for yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, we do. I was, I, to be honest with you, I, like I said, I was just getting into the podcast game, and it didn't even, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about it because I was worried about editing and other stuff that it, it just didn't, uh, didn't cross my mind. And I'm, I'm sorry about that. No, it's okay. It's, I mean, it didn't. I mean, it was one of those things where we could have gone in there and put a little blurb in, but I think there for a while uh, when you, when you were coming on board and everything, we were just in a mad scramble to keep the episodes flowing and. Uh, but we're going to write that ship today. We're going to write it right here, right now. And we're going to announce several new Patreon members that have since joined the team to support Chasing Tales Outdoors. Jonathan Curran of Linhaven, Florida is a patron of the show now. Judy and Fred Fergus, my in-laws, thank you so much for, for supporting the show. Mara Fergus, my sister-in-law, and Blake Porter of uh, Hickory, North Carolina. Guy is a 
my deepest thanks for everyone uh, who has joined and become a supporter uh, of the show. This money is going right into production. It, it directly offsets the, the cost and the operating uh, flow of this podcast. And uh, your contributions help. And, you know, we said this before, just a couple episodes back. You know, there's there's going to be kind of some new neat stuff coming down the pipe. You and I still have to uh, iron out a few more of the details before we... Uh, before we can announce that, but um, I think everybody's going to be very excited uh, in the weeks to come for w- what uh, what they can expect from Chase and Tails. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly hope they're excited. Uh, we're excited about it, and trying to bring some new stuff to the listeners. Uh, I think that we've we've talked about it for a while now, so hopefully we can <laughs> kind of get <laughs> yeah. it together and start making this uh happen yeah yeah. Uh, we also uh besides the patreon we are doing kind of a spring into turkey hunting season uh giveaway over on the chasing tales outdoor podcast uh instagram account uh for anybody that leaves us a review for the podcast correct yeah yeah that's right and actually uh i just checked and it looks like we've gotten three more since uh earlier today or no well, one more since earlier today so here's the deal guys and i haven't put this on facebook um instagram and facebook somehow become became uh disconnected so i thought it flowed over but evidently it didn't so i'm gonna make a post on facebook here's the deal we've got a flex tone decoy we've got two lynch diaphragm uh, turkey calls. We've got a Lynch steel, undecided steel. I'm sorry. It's an aluminum pot call and with a cherry striker. And we have a world champion. This is the, the, the box call that put Lynch calls on the map, uh, paired with an outdoor edge knife. Goodness gracious. The name of that has escaped me. I think it's called the Leduc, the Leduc. Yes. Yeah, it's the duck knife. Yep. It's a, it's a little small, compact, ultra light, you know, it's got a little lanyard and a, and a, and a, uh, Kydex sheath that you can, you know, hang it around your neck. So ultralight, we're giving all of that away. All you have to do is this, go to in iTunes, go to the pat, the podcast app, sit, leave us a five-star review, take a screenshot and send it to us. Now, before all you non iPhone people start to complain, and I've already got the onslaught and I put it uh, about this in previous, uh, giveaways. I don't care who leaves me the five-star review. Somebody in your life has an iPhone Go in their phone, say, hey, I need the phone for 30 seconds, leave us a review, send a screenshot, send that to us, and uh, we'll enter you in that drawing. And I think I said I was going to pull the winner in two weeks from Monday, this past Monday. So, um, what is that? Yeah, that'll be the... Yes, you got a little less than two weeks. Yeah, so... Leave us a review. We'll pull the... And we will, we greatly appreciate the, the, the review, so... Well, yeah, and, and awesome. it's it's perhaps outside outside of being a Patreon subscriber, it's the best thing you can do to help this show because a lot of the matrix about whether or not uh, we are in the top of the search when people are looking for uh, the the next greatest podcast is uh, those reviews. That's how people make their uh, judgments of the show, but it's also how iTunes decides whether or not to present it to you. So right now we're at seventy six. I would love, I would absolutely adore to get this almost to 100 or over 100 during this giveaway because that would just be a, a heck of a, a a benchmark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'd like to see that number uh, <laughs> reach the 100 as well. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, if it doesn't, every, like I say, every review counts. Yeah, and, yep. And give us some uh, feedback with that five-star review. I mean, doesn't that necessarily all have to be just awesome stuff? You can also say, hey, I'd like to see more of this or more of that on the show. 
I mean, what, whatever, uh, whatever can help us maybe learn and provide better content to you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I, it, tell me what you'd like to see. If you think there's a guest that you'd like us to see, put that in there. If you'd like to hear Chase uh, do a one-on-one episode, hint, hint. Um, Got to send you that mic. Um, you know, yep. put that in there, whatever it is you'd like to see. But uh, I think we've kind of blabbered for long enough. What do you say we just uh, let them soak up the uh, the wealth of information that they're about to hear? Oh yeah, the 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 real show is when they get to listen to the Jay Scott. <laughs> That's not, it. That's it. <laughs> not us. <laughs> so, all right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoy the show. Here we go. Well, guys, I have got a special guest. I say that every episode, but I feel like every episode we just continue to bring you some some awesome people with awesome perspective. And this week is absolutely no exception to that. And um, I am. Very thankful that this gentleman has taken the time to speak with us tonight, but we have got Jay Scott of Jay Scott Outdoors on the phone tonight. Jay, thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with you Florida boys about uh, turkeys and whatever else we might chat about. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's always a really fun podcast for me whenever we have another podcaster on because you you know the you know how this goes you, you, you <laughs> the flow I'm not nervous <laughs> yeah I think that's me tonight actually I think I'm the nervous one but uh, uh, well for for the the errant uh, listener that we have that doesn't know who you are would you uh, mind introducing yourself to the listeners. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I live out here in Arizona, and I live uh, parts of the year in Colorado. Uh, I am a, a full. I have a full-time real estate uh, investing business here in Arizona, and I got my real estate license in 1997, and uh, fairly active in uh, buying and selling investment property here uh, in the Metro Phoenix area. Uh, and I love to hunt and fish. Uh, I own and operate uh, J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast. I started it uh, four years ago. Uh, it would have been February, mid-February of uh, 20, uh, 2015. Um, it just continued to grow and grow, and, and uh, I think I've had uh, 22.5 million downloads, and uh, I'm also an outfitter for uh, elk, uh, bighorn sheep, uh, deer, uh, specialize in coos deer in Sonora, Mexico, uh, Gould's turkey in Sonora, Mexico. Uh, I also guide, uh, pretty much have guided most all of the big game animals, uh, here in Arizona. And in the summer, I love to fly fish. I spend a lot of time, uh, in Colorado. I have a place there in the Roaring Fork Valley, which is between Glenwood Springs and Aspen and spend a lot of time. I have uh, my own rafts and uh, row my own uh, boats uh, and, and uh, don't guide professionally, but I, but I take a lot of friends and family fly fishing uh, so I can spend uh, most of uh, July, June, July, August uh, on the water. And then um, I am a hunt manager of a ranch in South Central Colorado called the Ot Six Ranch. Uh, which a friend of mine purchased a couple of years ago and asked me to be the hunt manager. And we, it's primarily a ranch for uh, family and friends of the owner. Uh, but this year we are in the RFW program, Ranching for Wildlife program in Colorado. Uh, and we will be doing our first public hunt 
uh, offered to Colorado residents only in the RFW program. And so I'm looking forward to that. But uh, that's kind of a brief synopsis of uh, what I do. Uh, spend most of my time in uh, the Phoenix, Arizona area. So in case anybody missed that, in layman's terms, uh, Jay pretty much lives the dream. He's got it made. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's been a good, uh, it's been a good run, and and I'm certainly blessed uh, to be able to do what I love to do. Uh, you know, real estate was the true catalyst to uh, put me in a position where I could afford to do a lot of the things that I that I do, and then the podcast uh, was just basically an extension uh, to be able to showcase uh, some of the hunts and stuff that we do and bring some light and have good guests on and such to uh you know in other words further hunting and fishing and and uh so yeah it's life is good you know i I think it's i think it's funny um you know your your nephew introduced us and i I think everybody might enjoy kind of hearing how that came to be uh briefly but i was you know chase and i've been uh good buddies here for a little while now and we've been talking about going out West and, and hunting. And, and so we started, you know, our, our pursuit of information, which I think is how everybody starts out their, their pursuit and, uh, to go out West. And I post just randomly on a Facebook group, like, Hey guys, thinking about going out to Arizona. If anybody would be willing to shorten the learning curve, shoot me a DM and I'd love to talk to you. And, and Jay, who I think was just on your podcast, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, actually, um, just uh, had him on my podcast this morning, uh, him and my uh, real estate and my guiding partner, Dar Colburn. Uh, they actually are uh, teamed up in the real estate business, primarily focusing on residential resale uh, and had them on my podcast today. Yeah. Yeah. So he reaches out and he saw I had a Georgia Bulldogs profile picture and we, he's like, I'd be more than ha- happy to help a dog. And he gives me all this information and we we hit it off. We're talking. And one day I was like, hey, man, do you want to come on and talk about your adventures out there? Because Jay's just an awesome guy. As anybody who listens to that episode we talked about, you'll just, you can tell he's full of stories. And he's like, well, why don't you have my uncle on? And if I had a dollar for everybody who said that, and, and everybody's uncle, I think, is always just maybe a little bit more interesting to them <laughs> than they might be to, to the broad yeah. audience. Than they are in reality. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, sure. Like the guy's been so nice. He's given me all this information. I'm oblivious at this point. And so I said, yeah, man, absolutely. Shoot me his Instagram, you know, page or something. Shoot me some pictures. And I'm like, who is this guy? He looks so familiar. And he sends me your profile. And at that point I just about fell out. I was like, I was an inch away from like, if I had been sarcastic or like, no dude, I don't want your uncle. This, this podcast wouldn't have been here, but uh, no, it, it, it played out differently, so. Well, good. I'm I'm happy to be here. So tonight we're going to be talking about something that's near and dear, especially to Chase, and that's turkey hunting. And I, I think it's going to be interesting for everyone to hear how different it is in Arizona. And I know that sounds really silly, but a lot of states are lucky to have one species of turkey. They're they're lucky to 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 have a chance to hunt turkey, let alone to have the opportunities. And in a landscape that I think a lot of people don't necessarily uh, associate with turkey hunting. Um, what is, briefly, what is unique about Arizona in, in regards to turkey hunting that maybe the average state who has just eastern birds? What, what, what makes Arizona so special to you? 
Well, I, I think the diverse habitat, uh, you know, we've got, you know, we've got the three species. We have the Goulds, the Merriams, and the Rios. And the diversity of the habitat in Arizona, number one, most people, when they hear the state of Arizona, they can't even believe we have hunting. Okay, so for for the for the everyday person, they can't even believe there's hunting in Arizona because all they picture is, you know, desert and cactuses and what have you. Uh, but then the people that, you know, know hunting quite a bit, they obviously understand that Arizona is an incredible state for elk and and then you start digging deeper and, you know, we've got bighorn sheep and we've got coos deer and we've got mule deer and pronghorn and black bear. And and then you get to the turkeys, you know, with the goulds, the merriams uh, and the rios having all three birds. It's pretty neat. So the merriams pretty much in uh, habit the what I would call kind of the central part and maybe even the northern part of the states, anywhere where you have, you know, ponderosa pine forests. Uh, you'll find our Marion's turkeys. Uh, then pretty much everything in what I would call southern Arizona in the Sky Islands, there's all these, you know, it's it's the Sky Island mountain chains that are these big mountains that go all the way up to eight, maybe even 9,000 feet in some of the ranges, but then they drop back down into the desert floor. So they literally look like an island. And those, those, uh, you know, in southern Arizona used to always be uh, in, you know, inhabited by Gould's turkeys. Well, for whatever reason or another, they ended up dying off. And um, the National Wild Turkey Federation, as well as the Arizona Game and Fish Department, uh, I can't give you the exact dates, but like 20 some years ago, maybe 25, 20, 25 years ago, uh, reintroduced those Gould's turkeys from Mexico into those different mountain ranges and the success, the story of success of bringing those Gould's turkeys back to huntable populations is, you know, one of the National Wild Turkey Federation and the uh, Arizona Game and Fish success stories. So now we have, uh, I, I don't know exactly, but I'm just going to say we have eight or 10 different uh, areas where you can actually hunt Gould's turkey in the state of Arizona. Then you've got the Rio uh, grand turkeys, which are found up in uh, up on the Arizona Strip, up in uh, Unit 13A and 13B, uh, they reintroduced uh, Rio Grand turkeys up there, and they are basically uh, separated there by the Grand Canyon. So just across the Grand Canyon is the Kaibab Plateau, uh, which also has Merriams, but they've got you know, 50 miles of the Grand Canyon, you know, depending on where you're at, 40 to 50 miles. Well, that you might have to fact check me on that. Let's say 30 to 50 miles. I don't know exactly across that canyon um, separates those uh, Rio Grande turkeys and the Marion's turkeys. Uh, so it's pretty neat that we have uh, the three different uh, species of turkeys in our state. That's incredible. I, I I I I felt really blessed here in Florida because you have Easterns, a hybrid, and then and then Osceolas. I just I can't imagine having I can't imagine having the, that many different well, species. Yeah, and not to mention, I think you know the similarities between the Easterns and the Osceola, and then you've got the hybrid. Um, but the interesting thing with what we have here in Arizona is we've got, you know, three completely different birds. I mean, basically, you know, 
Obviously, they look like a turkey, but very, very different birds where I would argue that, you know, the Easterns and the Osceolas share a lot more common traits. Um, and, you know, even people that are not hunters could probably be like, well, that look, that turkey looks different than this turkey. Uh, and, and, you know, the Goulds looks different than the Marians. The Marians looks different than the, the Rios. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's pretty neat to have three completely different birds. Chase, yeah, that it, that it, yeah, I mean that is really unique. I, like I said, you know, in Florida there are certain areas where you you kind of get a uh, a hybrid type bird, especially in the area that I hunt. And I thought I looked up something on Gould's turkeys because I knew that's kind of what we were going to talk about. And it was basically saying there was really where they're located, there isn't a chance for there to be hybrids. Like they're pure Gould's turkeys. I knew like Merriams were kind of close, but there there actually is no hybrids for the Goulds. Is that correct? Yeah, and that was one of their things is they wanted to make sure when they reintroduced the Goulds that they kept them in those sky islands. In essence, uh, some of these mountain ranges, so you've got, you know, these mountain ranges could be, you know, 50 miles long and could be, you know, 30, 40 miles wide. But then between mountain ranges, you know, we're talking, you know, 30, 40, 50 miles of just desert flat. So in essence, the, the mountains just raise up from the desert floor. And I think that's the important part is they, they knew that if they could get those birds back into those ranges and if they could manage them, if the game and fish could manage them properly, that they would have the ability to isolate and have those, you know, pure Gould's turkey populations in those mountain ranges. Uh, one thing that's unique is, you know, uh, you know, when they first started, they were offering like one or two tags per mountain range. And, you know, these are very, very big areas. Um, and, you know, now some of our units have, you know, 15 uh, tags on, say, the first hunt and 15 tags on the second hunt. Uh, so it's, it, you know, getting some very good huntable populations. You know, still some of the units may only have, you know, two or three, two or three tags per hunt. I think there's even one or two units that still just have one, one hunt on the first hunt, and one tag on the second. But, you know, just if I had to guess, I'll bet we have you know, 40 or 50, maybe even more, well, probably more than that, honestly, um, tags for ghouls. And then uh, the Rios, uh, they're doing very well. But again, we're not talking about a huge amount of tags, but, you know, 10, let's just say 10 to 20, and I don't know the exact number, 10 to 20 uh, tags uh, up there total on the Rios. And then our most prevalent bird is the Merriams, uh, which, you know, in lots of units, they give, you know, three, four, five, six hundred tags, depending on the unit. Uh, so, you know, Arizona does have some great turkey hunting. Granted, the, the Goulds and the Rios, uh, you do have to draw for. It is hard to get a tag, but, it, you know, it is it is possible that uh, you could you could in a lifetime be able to hunt three different birds. That's incredible. Now, is that for strictly residents or non-residents have the same, do they have the same odds as getting a tag? The, um, I'm, I'd have to go back and look to see the odds. I haven't studied them um, on the turkeys, but uh, I believe that residents, non-residents uh, all have the opportunity to draw all three of those birds uh, with the Merriams being something that, you know, you could draw, you know, every other year, potentially in some of these units, maybe even every year. 
Uh, and then the Rios and the Goulds obviously are, are a harder tag to draw. Um, with that, the popularity of the Goulds, um, you know, has just been, seems like it's been getting more and more popular. I've been doing uh, two steer hunts in Sonora, Mexico. I just finished my 21st season uh, doing uh, rut coos deer hunts basically wow. the month of january uh down there in sonora and uh in 2010 i actually started uh doing gould's turkey hunts uh and my business just continues to grow and those tags are basically over the counter so uh you know basically a three hour and 45 minute drive from my house to the border and then you know within i've got ranches that are within you know 30 minutes to, you know, three hours of that border, uh, and we're hunting Gould's turkeys. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's allowed me to be around those Gould's turkeys. You know, this year we should be on track to harvest close to 75 birds, uh, on probably I'd have to count them up, but between 15 and 20 different properties, um, you know, probably 250,000 acres total, you know, these are big, big properties. And the birds in Sonora, the goulds in Sonora, are very plentiful, very, very plentiful uh, down there in Sonora. Interesting to note as well is New Mexico also has goulds turkeys. Uh, they have less than Arizona, but then the state of Chihuahua, which is just east of Sonora, uh, they also have a phenomenal um uh, amount of Gould's turkeys in a lot of their mountains there in the state of Chihuahua, Mexico. What did, what did, uh, I'm curious if you, if you're familiar, what did the natural disbursement of turkeys look like? You know, obviously the, the dip probably coincided with a dip in wildlife across the country that, ever, you know, we all experienced, but do you know what the native ranges were they commingling prior to being separated or in that area? Yeah, so from what I understand, the Rio Grande turkeys were never native in the state of Arizona. Uh, and the Gould's turkeys were native in the Sky Island mountain ranges that I was talking about in southern Arizona. So they've basically been reestablished into their range. Um, and you'd have to fact check me on the, on the Merriam's I don't know if they were a native bird or if that they were brought in at some point in time. I should know that, but they are by far our most prevalent bird uh, for sure uh, in Arizona. How neat. That's a, that's a kind of cool recovery story there to, to, you know, have lost out on those birds and then have such a, a plethora there. It's kind of funny because, you you kind of consider that one species a non-native invasive species almost you know it's yeah i mean i don't know exactly how that works but and and i could be wrong but i'm pretty sure that the rio that that's our introduced species and that it never was native to our uh, north uh, west part of the state but they just knew that that habitat would be good um and you know typically those rio grand turkeys are kind of river bottom uh turkeys uh, you know, they do very, very well in Texas, and some of that country up there on the Arizona Strip is is very similar to some of the country there in Texas where, you know, the Rio Grande turkey is very, very prevalent. So um, they do well in that rocky terrain. They do well in the river bottoms. Uh, and, you know, the the, ghoul, the the Merriams do very, very well in the Ponderosa pine uh, thickets, and then the Goulds kind of live in a mixed 
uh, you know, kind of oak, uh, manzanita oak, some ponderosa type pine, uh, and you know, they're they're definitely mountain birds as well. So let's. Now, so, oh, go ahead, Chase. Um, well, the only thing I was going to say is Jay was talking about units earlier. Like in Florida, in a lot of the South, we don't necessarily have units. So can you just describe to some of the listeners, like you're saying, you get 15 birds a unit um, to the listeners so they may have an idea of what you're talking about? Yeah, so Arizona split up into units. I think Florida has zones, mm-hmm. um, but let's say that there's, um, you know, 30, 35, well, there's probably, let's say, 30, there is, I believe, I'm trying to count, there's 45, give or take, there's 45 units in the state of Arizona. Not all of them have turkeys. Uh, let's say that, you know, some of them are way west and just out in the desert bighorn sheep country or the mule deer and they don't have turkeys or out in the desert flats. Um, and then you've got half the units, you know, that, so let's say 15 or 20 units that have turkeys. Um, you know, some of those units could be, you know, 75, 80 miles by, you know, 50, 60 miles, uh, wide or, or even more. So big, big areas. And then each one of those units is kind of managed. Uh, They have their own wildlife manager for that unit who, you know, basically manages for all of the different game, uh, you know, animals, you know, big game, small game, you know, all of the different uh, animals there in those units. And our Arizona Game and Fish uh, Department does a phenomenal job managing the resource uh, and, you know, they, they catch a lot of heat because they've got a tall task and a big job to do, uh, but they do a very good job and they get very detailed on, you know, managing, you know, everything from squirrels to rabbits to javelina to deer, um, you know, turkeys, elk, uh, bear, you know, what have you. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, they do, a, they do a very good job with that. I think one of the biggest okay, things. Was that? I was just telling them thanks for oh. clarifying. <laughs> I think one of the biggest misconceptions, at least that I had, and I'm assuming if I had it, other people had the same thought, was that there were only a few game species out there in Arizona. But the more I've ta- I've spoke to to Jay, I mean, I've been blown away at at the the diversity of wildlife and 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 hunting, just sheer hunting opportunities in your state, dude. It's it's incredible. Yeah, you know, we have over-the-counter archery deer hunts uh, in December and January for both coos deer and mule deer that anybody, resident or non-resident, can come out and hunt these deer uh, during the peak of the rut. And uh, we've got, you know, uh, lots of opportunities for javelina, you know, and then we've got, you know, dove, we've got quail, uh, we've got chucker. Um, you know, we've got there, it's a very, very, uh, hunter friendly state as far as opportunity to be able to hunt things. You know, you've got, uh, mule deer, rifle mule deer tags that are, you know, fairly easy to draw. Coos deer tags, depending on the time of year are fairly easy to draw. And so if you're a hunter, uh, Arizona is definitely an opportunistic state for sure. So let's let's dive further into the turkey hunting component of this. I think everybody east of the Mississippi thinks, uh, and probably just just west of the Mississippi as well, thinks when they think of turkeys, they think of a you know a swamp bottom, uh, 
thick and lush and, and uh, maybe some mosquitoes and, and real tall, tall hardwoods and, and, a, and a turkey sitting at the very top of those of those hardwoods or on a field edge with really tall uh, trees breaking up uh, two, two, two adjoining fields. I have a feeling that's not the, the, the setting for most of your turkey hunts. What are, do they, do they roost in trees uh, similarly? Well, um, depends on whether you're talking Merriams or Goulds or what you're talking about. I assume you're wanting to know about the Goulds. Um, I will tell you that the Merriams, you know, we have giant Ponderosa pine thickets, you know, hundreds of miles of, of, you know, Ponderosa pine thickets where it's just, you know, forested, very, very forested uh, country and very, very thick country. Probably what you guys are used to kind of in that Southeast, not, it's different, but, you know, we do have thick ponderosa pine areas. The interesting thing about Goulds turkeys is, you know, I've seen Goulds and have, you know, videos of Goulds that are, that I've roosted birds that night and they're roosted in a tree that's, you know, six, eight feet tall. It's a mesquite tree and they're up on a, a limb that, you know, the next morning when it gets light and it's, you know, if it's breezy, you see them up there just basically swaying in the wind. Um, and... Uh, you would be surprised at what they roost in sometimes, but, you know, sometimes they, you know, they just roost wherever they can. Uh, we do have a ton of predators between the coyotes, bobcats, foxes, uh, you know, skunks, what have you trying to get in the nests and, and, and all of that. But, um, you know, they, they will try and get as high as they can. Uh, but the second that I say that, you know, I'll roost them in a, uh, you know, a tree and, and you're thinking, well, golly, I could all, if, you know, if it was dark I, and I knew exactly where they were, I could almost go up there and grab them by the leg. Um, <laughs> but, you know, certainly they will seek out those bigger trees. Uh, and, you know, the Goulds, especially in some of these more deserty units, you can actually predict where they're going to roost just because there's not, a lot of great roosting habitat and you know from a hunting perspective you know knowing where some of those bigger trees are a lot of times down in the you know the river bottoms and stuff you can predict that those birds that you're going to hunt that's where they're going to go roost just from a safety standpoint uh, as far as trying to get as far off the ground as they can where they can see and hear and you know stay up in a tree and get away from those predators for sure um wow I would like for Jay to go ahead and maybe why don't you describe a Gould's turkey to the listeners? Like if they, they don't know what a Gould's turkey is, how would you describe it to somebody uh, maybe on the eastern side? Our Gould's turkeys weigh, you know, we weigh them every year, uh, weigh a lot of our birds, and they weigh anywhere from, say, 19 to 24 pounds. Uh, so they're, they're not an extremely heavy bird. Uh, just from probably the amount of feed and, and conditions that they live in, but they are a very tall bird. Uh, most all of the hunters that come from the Midwest or come from the Southeast or even the East for that matter, and, you know, they're used to those uh, uh, Eastern birds that, you know, just big, big birds, especially the Midwest birds. Um, our birds, as far as weight, you know, some of those birds get to 30 pounds. Our birds do not, you know, it's very rare to get one over that 24, 25 pound mark. Um, but their primary feathers, when they are uh, fanned out, uh, a lot of my eastern bird hunters, they, just, they, they talk about how big the fan is. 
uh, as far as the length of the feathers. And then they talk about with the length of the feathers, how big the white band uh, is on those primary feathers. Uh, so when they come in full strut, I mean, you basically have a full, you know, half moon of uh, or a half circle of that white band. Uh, and they just look huge when they're all puffed up and, you know, come in strutting. Uh, now, certainly the beards for a Gould's turkey uh, normally are a lot wispier and a lot shorter. I mean, we've measured them, you know, 11 inches, 10 and a half, 11 inches. Pretty rare to get them much over that, you know, and, and we'll have beards. You know, we've killed five bearded birds, four bearded birds, three bearded birds. Um, but, you know, normally our beards are going to be a lot like your eastern probably your eastern or osceola two-year-old birds um you know we may have a four-year-old bird that's you know completely and fully mature and his beard is you know only 10 inches long and you know not very thick um the country that they live in is is you know pretty rocky and pretty vertical and they're dragging that beard a lot and, and you know brushing it off as well as the spurs i mean it um, I, we've killed uh, ghouls with spurs over an inch, but it's very uncommon to get spurs, uh, you know, over an inch. Most spurs, even on, you know, old mature birds, most spurs are around that half to three quarter of an inch uh, mark. And it's, you know, every year we'll get a bird or two um, uh, ghouls that their, their spurs are, you know, an inch or just over an inch. Um, but that also, they're, they're not near as sharp as some of the other birds. And I think a lot of that has to do with the rocky terrain uh, that they live in. I think they just end up wearing those spurs down, hitting them on rocks and stuff. Wow. Uh, I didn't expect to hear that their, their spurs wouldn't be uh, only but maybe an inch. I would have thought they would have actually have been maybe a little bit longer than uh, some of the birds over here on the eastern side. Yeah, so... You know, most hunters that come out and hunt, um, you know, I just try and tell them, listen, what what you're truly going for is that full white tail fan. Um, you know, don't pay as much attention to the spurs or the beard, you know, because, you know, maybe one, you know, it would not shock me if one or two out of, you know, 75 birds this year will be, you know, over an inch spurs and, and rarely, rarely ever get a beard over 11 inches. And you know, I see some of those eastern paintbrushes and, and even those Osceolas, just those big old thick, I mean, you wrap your hand <laughs> around beards. We, we just don't get those. That's just not, you know, and, and the Merriams uh, as well, uh, you know, the, very rare do the spurs get much over an inch. And I would say the beard length is pretty similar on, on you know, Merriams. A mature bird's going to be somewhere in that 9 to 11 range. Uh, for our Merriams. Now, the Merriams, uh, their white band on their tail feathers, uh, on their primary uh, tail feathers, are it's still kind of a white band. It's not near the pure white that the Goulds, uh, the Goulds have a real pure white band, and it's probably, I'm going to say, two to two and a half inches uh, thick, whereas the Merriams, you know, sometimes it's white, but a lot of times it's kind of that dusty you know, kind of dusty colored, a little tan, a little more tannish, um, a little more kind of like a real, but um, it's not near as thick. So when a Goulds comes in full strut, it's much more dramatic than even our Merriams. Uh, and even, you know, our, our we've got some real white 
white tail fan Marion's, but the Goulds is just, it's more spectacular for sure. So it's funny. I listened to an old fellow one time. I grew up in Southeast Georgia and it was uncommon to run into people from South Carolina. And I, I met, ran to this guy and we were at a waffle house. We just got done Turkey hunting and he was traveling and he came over and sat down and saw us in the camo said, y'all must be Turkey hunting. I said, yeah. And, he says, man, I've been all over this country. The prettiest birds from the perspective of spears, uh, spears, beards and spurs have always come out of Florida and South Carolina. And I always, I didn't know any better. I, it always resonated with me, and I've never heard somebody say that, uh, confirm that the spurs elsewhere kind of get knocked back. That That's kind of, that's kind of, I mean, a big bird chase, what, like an a inch and a half, two inch spurs is, is, is big. Like you're starting. Uh, to yeah, talk. we'll get. Yeah, we'll get some birds that are coming close to that two inch mark. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, but inch, inch and a quarter to inch and a half is really uh, pretty common. And then shoot, we, we've uh, seen beards. I mean, they'll they'll get up to the, maybe the fourteen inch range in length, possible. Yeah. Now we don't really get the paintbrushes where I'm at. It's a little more north of where I am, but they definitely have the longer beards. Um, so yeah, it's kind of neat. I, I mean, I really love the look of that Gould's Turkey, especially the, the beautiful white fans that they have to me. They're actually the prettiest looking birds to me, even though they don't have like the significant long beard or spurs. I just really like that pure white looking fan. Yeah. And I think too, it's, um, you know, if you're used to your Osceola's or if you're used to your Eastern's, you know, something different, whereas me, you know, I, yeah, the Gould's and the Marion's are just beautiful birds but you know some of those eastern birds and and some of those osceolas you know in the right light and you get that iridescent you know just the you know the osceolas are super black and you get that iridescent you know kind of olive you know little tone in those colors um and then those super black and then you get that black and white band um on the osceola i mean um so i you know i'm a turkey nut i think all turkeys are just incredible a lot of guys that know me, you know, just think I'm absolutely nuts. Um, but I love the springtime. Uh, I love, you know, hearing them gobble. I love, I love everything about turkey hunting because of the strategy that's involved. And, um, you know, uh, growing up and, and turkey hunting and in, in my beginnings getting, you know, just absolutely pummeled so many times uh, and then kind of figuring it out a little bit and figuring out how to roost them and figuring out how to, you know, get in close to them and, and work them. And, you know, it's very rewarding for me because I, I've spent a lot of time just getting pummeled by them. Um, and so, you know, it's a, it's a real rewarding hunt because they can also be a big challenge at times, as you guys know. Oh yeah. I can definitely uh, relate to the, uh, the challenge. It sometimes, sometimes seems like these Osceola's definitely have my number, but I mean, a lot of times that we, we also have a big hen population where I'm at. So it's, it's kind of difficult. They'll be henned up, but I was like to go back to your point. I was actually texting Walter the other day. I was out glassing uh, some birds and I had this big gobbler out on this clear cut and it was just like the sun was coming up and the way it hit that bird. I mean, this whole, body looked green you know like like that green sheen that they have that olive green and i was just like i was like this bird looks beautiful right now with the way the sun's hitting them i was like if i could get a mount to just look exactly how this bird is in full strut 
it, it would have been <laughs> awesome. Yeah. But, of course, it wasn't. We're not in season yet. Our season here actually starts this weekend in my zone. It actually starts on uh, Saturday, the uh, 16th, I believe. Um, when does the season start in Arizona, if you'll kind of go into that some for the Goulds? Yeah, so the Goulds, um, the, the rough dates, I would say, are usually third week in April is when the hunt starts. And then we have a first hunt and a second hunt. And the both of those hunts basically go into the month of May. Uh, and some of the seasons go all the way to the end of May. So uh, you, you get a pretty liberal season as far as the amount of time that you can hunt them. Uh, I want to say both seasons are a couple weeks long. Um, they, they used to make uh, the seasons kind of equal where, you, you know, you've got two weeks on the first hunt and two weeks on the second. Um, now they've seen where that first hunt, you know, is a little bit more sought after because of, you know, getting to go first. So they've actually shortened that up a little bit and then they've lengthened the second hunt. Um, and, and then some of the units, the first hunt, you know, it's on for a week and then it's off and then it starts back up and, and finishes out. So in other words, it goes to the end of the end of May as well. Um, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a long season and, uh, you know, our birds really kind of get going, uh, as far as Merriam's, they kind of get going around the 15th of, of April. And then I would say the Goulds there, they fall right in there as well. Um, and they gobble pretty darn good. The Goulds gobble pretty darn good from start to finish. They don't get tons of pressure just because the game and fish, you know, monitors the amount of tags and keeps it fairly low just because they're trying to, you know, really build that population up. And that's something else to notice, like your, your birds, your Eastern birds and your Osceolas will have that real rattle, that real thunderous gobble. Uh, and the Goulds have more of, um, Scott Ellis, um, he's from Florida, Mulberry, Florida. He came out and hunted with me in Sonora, Mexico. And he kind of described that, um, gobble as kind of like a barnyard gobble. It's more of a wobble, wobble, wobble. And whereas your Eastern birds, you know, just have that hard charging, you know, just, just pound and gobble. I, Billy Argus came and hunted with me last year and he's from Missouri and, um, you know, he, both of those guys are NWTF, uh, you know, calling champions. And, uh, you know, they were like, that gobble is just crazy. They're like, I can't tell if it's a mix between a, a Rio and a, and a, <laughs> a barnyard turkey and, and a Merriam. Um, <laughs> but they were really intrigued by the gobble. Um, but it definitely doesn't carry uh, like some of the eastern gobbles. They're like, there'll be an eastern and he'll gobble and I mean, it'll, it'll just, it'll scare you because he, he sounds angry up in the tree. Yeah. Yeah. I chased one oh, down yeah. in a river bottom one time and I, every time I would round a bend in the river bottom, I'd be like, I swear this turkey's going to be standing there at 15 yards. And when I finally cl- cut the distance to him, I'm still convinced he was walking away from me the whole time, just messing with me. But, uh, when I finally cut the distance, he was still like 250 yards away and strutting with hens. It just it just echoed through that bottom, and it was such a sharp gobble, you know. Yeah. Uh no no I, I mean yeah I I de- definitely agree that, that some of the Osceolas and Easterns man it's like say it's that thunder gobble especially if you just accidentally kind of get too close to them roosting and they fire off in that tree right on top of you, or I've had them where they're coming in and you can't really see them and they kind of come in quiet but then all of a sudden they let out a gobble I mean it almost blows your hat off it's like 
that extreme. Um, and I was listening to kind of some of the us or let's see here the Gould's Turkey earlier and their gobble. To me, it almost kind of sounded like a Jake would sound uh, over here, like an Eastern Jake. Like when they kind of fire off first thing in the morning, they'll they'll kind of do the little gobble thing. It's, that's almost what it sounded like to me. Yeah, for sure. Um, if anybody wants to hear those um, gobbles uh, on my uh, YouTube channel, I have, I think, over 125 uh, Gould's Turkey videos, um, <laughs> some of which have some really, really good footage and um, lots of gobbling and stuff so they could hear it. Um, you could also, on my website, gouldsturkeyhunt.com, uh, you can link to those uh, videos uh and get to hear them but it's definitely a different sound uh and you know it's it's i've i've been able to video and get just some amazing footage because of how vocal the the goulds are especially the birds uh in you know arizona and sonora they don't get a lot of pressure um and so you can you know they're they're i would say our merriams are harder to hunt than than the goulds because of the amount of pressure, and I would say they're nowhere near uh, as hard to hunt as, you know, your Eastern or your Osceola for sure, which I hear can be very, very temperamental. But a lot of that has to do with they live in, you know, big, big country and they don't get messed with a whole lot. Mm. Uh, whereas I think some of your birds in the southeast, you know, there's a lot of hunting pressure and there's also a lot of uh, private land and, you know, there's quite a bit of roads and stuff where they're seeing humans they're they're used to that human interaction um but uh yeah i i uh you know we we're allowed to hunt uh all day out here uh so you know i've kind of become a student of the game of how to roost those birds um and to make sure you have a good morning hunt i spend a lot of time really trying to roost different groups of birds and actually pinpointing exactly which tree they're in and exactly where they're at so you know i go in early in the morning in the complete dark and literally get set up just right in there and just you know for years shot you know lots and lots of video uh right under the roost and and been able to hear them you know from the very first gobble from the very first hen yelp uh, and, uh, there's a guy named Denny Golvas who, uh, I don't, I don't know if you guys know, but he's kind of a legend in that, you know, Eastern, um, country back there. And he does a lot of videoing and, um, he took note of some of my videos and I actually started sending him, uh, full copies of all my video footage. And, uh, he just absolutely just loves, uh, you know, because I'll start the camera rolling in the dark and roll it the whole time and basically capture every hen sound, every gobble uh, for the whole morning. And I'm blessed to be able to spend, you know, 30 days wow. uh, chasing them and, and, you know, 30 days straight videoing them down there in, in Sonora, Mexico. Um, so it, it's it's made for a, it's made for a you know, very enjoyable time to video. Them. So I'm curious what and you may have already touched on this but i was so enamored by the the information i may have missed it what's your favorite if you wake up in the middle of the of the season and you you could just go after one what would it be well you know i cut my teeth on the merriams um the mountain merriams and just the ponderosa pine tickets but you know goulds i just they're so beautiful um they're they love to strut they love to gobble um, they come in and destroy our decoys. Uh, I would have to say Goulds. 
they've just um i've kind of been swallowed up by them and you know the the big white tail fan is just it, it never ceases to amaze me i've heard grown men multiple times every year that have turkey hunted their whole life and the first time they see a gould's turkey coming in full strut i've literally heard them go <sighs> and like <laughs> literally lose lose their breath and i've seen guys that have turkey hunted you know their whole life literally come unglued and almost not be able to hold it together because they're so awestruck by uh, the beauty of the ghouls when they're fully strutted out. And so it's pretty neat. Um, and so I'd have to say the ghouls. Bow or gun? You know, I'm one of those that um, I think bow hunting for turkeys is getting a little cute. Um, I'm for, you know, shooting them with pellets in the face and, uh, <laughs> you know, that's just my, my, um, you know, I have archery hunters every year that shoot them. Uh, I just, I just feel like they're such a perfect animal to shoot with a shotgun that I, I say <laughs> shotgun. I love it, dude. I'm I've, with you. I, I'm I, with you. I've got this. I've got this fantasy, and Chase can probably tell you now, having known me for several years. Every year, I talk about killing a, a, a turkey with a bow, and I never once take it out into the woods with me. I just—it's just a—I've—I've I've got this history of reading about turkey hunting from you know Robert Rourke's *The Old Man and the Boy* to a variety yep. of old books where it's you know it's a a side by side shotgun with number six shot, you know, and and that's just turkey hunting to me. You know, I don't know if that's ever going to change. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't, I, I certainly don't condemn anyone for, you know, if they oh, want to no. shoot them with a slingshot or, you know, wrap them on the head with a machete, like I, I don't really care. But for me, it's just such a perfect animal to uh, shoot with a shotgun, and uh, it's, you know, just something about putting your back to a tree and and having the interaction. And then, um, you know, I can't tell you how many turkeys I've missed. I still get rattled. Uh, they, <laughs> you know, every, you know, and you know, this year I'll probably see, you know, 70 some birds come in and get shot. And every one of them, I still get fired up. Every one of them, I still, you know, my hands, if you look at them, you know, I'm all jazzed up and they're, you know, they're semi trembling and shaking. And, and so, you know, I guess whenever that goes away, it's probably time to hang it up. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, Something about you know that about a thirty day period in the spring that's magical every every year. Well, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. It Chase, do you have any other questions about about hunting in Arizona for turkeys? You feel like we left anything off that we that we said we were going to talk about? Uh, no, I, I mean I don't really feel like we've. I feel like he's kind of covered the the turkey situation pretty decent and I, the only thing i was even gonna ask and you kind of covered it was shotgun or bow because i've seen a lot of guys go out there with their bow and i didn't realize i was like well maybe it's maybe they can only shoot them with a bow i don't do they have seasons in arizona do they have archery season and a shotgun or is it just the same yeah we it the general season is basically shotgun season but you can use anything we do have a few units that are archery um, and, and some archers get a different time frame. Uh, there, there is one unit for Goulds that is archery only, um, just because the particular place it, and it's a part of unit 33, it's the Southern part of, uh, South of Reddington road where those Goulds actually were released pretty close to a residential kind of a rural area, farm area. And so that is an archery only area. 
Um, but you know, there's people that really specialize in archery turkey hunting and, and I get it. Um, it's just, I, I, I'm still, you know, and I've shot them with a bow and I'll take archery hunters every single year. But like I said, something about just shooting them with a shotgun and, uh, watching them flop, uh, for me, <laughs> I, you know, I think the thing with the bow is, you know, headshots in my mind are probably the best head neck because, you know, if you hit them in that area, they're dead. Um, we've all seen the horror stories and heard the horror stories yeah. of some of the bow shots and seeing birds fly off. And, you know, that's the last thing I, I you know, I love those birds so much. The last thing I want to do is watch them get wounded and, and fly off. So, you know, blasting them with a shotgun and, and that seems like the most uh, efficient way to get her done. Yep. I can, I totally can relate to that. <laughs> well, so let me, I think now would be a good, a good point to transition to a story. And I think it'd be unfair if I asked you what your favorite story was directly. And I think I have to pick on what you just volunteered. And that is you still get shook up when it comes to turkeys coming in. Tell me about the most exciting turkey hunt that you've ever been on. Just the one that you, when, when someone says, if you had to relive one, which one would that be? Well, I mean, there's been so many, I ha I, you know, just what jumps into my, my brain for the first time, I'd have to tell you the very first Turkey that I ever killed, I was all by myself. It was a Merriam's Turkey. I was in the Ponderosa pine up in a unit called three C in Arizona. Um, kind of about uh, two hours here from Phoenix Northeast. And, um, it was my very first Turkey. I was diving into Turkey hunting. I read every book, listened to every tape, you know, and this is probably going back oh, 25 years ago. Um, it's amazing how time flies. Um, but you know, 25, maybe even 28 years ago. Uh, so I had, you know, tried to do all the homework. I had done some scouting. I'd found some birds. Um, the night before I was actually trying to roost a bird that I had heard that morning, the season hadn't started yet. And, uh, th that afternoon I had heard a bird gobbling down in a Canyon. So I waited, uh, down there and tried to roost that bird and he didn't gobble and I didn't get him roosted. So I was walking back up this little two track road. I was probably a mile from my truck. It was pretty, it was past shooting night. The season had started cause it was the night before. And, uh, I was walking back up the, the road and it was basically dark and I'm just walking along and I was kind of bummed out that for opening morning, I wasn't going to have a bird roosted that to go after. And I would have to, you know, resort to just try and run and gun and get one going. And I'm just walking, just walking all by myself. I had set a tent, I was camped by myself. Uh, so I'm headed back towards my truck and off to my left a bird just hammers, just gobbles, just gobbled good. And so I just kind of stopped for a second and I walked a little bit further and then he gobbled again and I was able to pinpoint exactly where he was. And um, so I marked it with some rocks in the road and kind of made my little natural mark so that, you know, if someone was driving by, they wouldn't, they wouldn't necessarily know it, but I would know it that that bird's roosted right off there. So mm. anyway, um, made it back to my truck. I was so pumped that I had a bird roosted, uh, got in there, uh, really, really early. Anyone that's hunted with me that I go, they know I go super, super early, like pitch black, dark, no light at all. 
Um, you know, and I, I've learned now to, you know, count trees. Okay. Count steps. He's roughly, you know, 85 steps, you know, this direction and I'll be within, you know, fly down range of them and that kind of stuff. But anyway, I get in there and this bird gobbles and it was early, early, early. I want to say it was probably four twenty. And the part that I had read in the books about, you know, you, you blow your call and, you know, or, or, um, not shot gobble, but you know, you, you, you hen call and they gobble, then you shut up and they know right where you're at. Well, I kind of forgot about that part of the, the book and I had a, it was just an elk diaphragm. I'm a big elk hunter. Had an elk diaphragm. Sounded horrible, horrible, like just a wounded hen. This bird gobbles. I hen call back. I mean, it's pitch black. There's no reason for me to be calling to this bird, but he's answering me. And so for probably 45 minutes, him and I go back and forth, back and forth. Do I'm doing everything that you should not do. And this bird is just hammering and I'm sounding like, you know, a wounded duck probably <laughs> and calling to this bird up on the limb in the dark and back and forth. And this went on and on and on and on. And of course, what am I doing? I'm making this bird gobble and every hunter in the woods could come right down and get right in on our bird. <laughs> yep. As the fortune would have it, nobody did. And that bird, I, I'm, I still remember it like it was yesterday. I'm calling, he's gobbling, I'm calling, he's gobbling, you know, just back and forth. It uh, honestly probably a hundred times and just complete rookie mistakes. And that bird flies straight down, comes right to me. And I shot him and he starts flopping up and down. And I was so excited. I did not know what to do. No one had told me, well, when you shoot them and they're <laughs> flopping, I'm used to shooting a deer or something and they'd like fall over and they're dead. This thing's flopping two and a half, three feet off the ground. I didn't know what to do. I'm all by myself. I run up there with my shotgun and I'm, I just don't know what to do. And what do I do? A good thing I didn't blow my foot off. I pull the shotgun up literally at point blank range and boom, shoot him in the head and blew his entire neck and head was gone. <laughs> it pulverized it. Now my bird's not flopping and I go to <laughs> I photo with the bird as far as a head because there literally is no pink or blue or white skin left because I blew the whole thing off. <laughs> and I was still excited, but I was like, what did I just do? I didn't know that you, you know, you try and go over and hop on them, um, you know, and, or, you know, stand on their head or their neck. I blew his whole everything off. So I had a headless turkey, but I was so excited. I, I went back to my camp and, um, and uh, that was before cell phones. And so I didn't have anybody to call, but I was a super excited uh, dude for sure. So the moral of that story to your listeners, if it's your first time turkey hunting, do not go up at point blank range and do not shoot them. The other thing is do not call back and forth with them in the pitch black dark for 45 minutes to an hour because you're just going to attract all kinds of other hunters. And typically that bird's going to just fly down and go the other way because he's like, who's the idiot in that's sitting on the ground over there calling in the dark? And, you know, there's not a stitch of light out. And so I made every mistake, but it worked out fine. And that 
you know, really solidified my love for turkey hunting. And I was hooked from there on. I told all my buddies, this is easy. You got to come do this. I pulled <laughs> my very first bird in. And then I went like three years and didn't kill a bird and didn't call in a bird because I had a lot to learn. <laughs> wow. That sounds like an incredible uh, a story. I mean, I can just envision you walking up to the bird. I mean, because I, when I was a new turkey hunter, no one had told me what to do after <laughs> I had shot my first turkey, and I think I unloaded the gun. I mean, you know, it was flopping. It was a long shot, but I, I just unloaded the gun from where I was at. Um, but, yeah, I could just see somebody going up to the <laughs> turkey in Point Blake's range, firing the gun and going, oh, my goodness, what <laughs> what have I done? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's just something about them, you know, there's just something about him. I, I, I've, you know, had him come in and never turn, pull my safety off and I'm pulling the trigger and can't figure out why the shotgun's not going off. I mean, you name it, I've done it. Um, and, and I've seen it done. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, you hit, you hit the eject button and all the shells fall. I mean, it's just like they'll make a grown man just literally lose their whole, whole world. <laughs> that's true I've, I've definitely been in the situation like say with, where the safety's on and you like pull the trigger and nothing happens and it startles you for a split second and you get your wits about yourself <laughs> yeah and you're like this shotgun won't fire this thing's this, this thing misfiring and then you're like oh right. take the safety off you idiot. did i load this thing <laughs> so man that was a great story <laughs> it's funny that you, you 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 tell that story because i was just sitting on the way home today uh riding home i'm my turkey season is probably going to surmise of one one weekend uh hunt with chase this year i'm just too busy otherwise and i've yet to kill a turkey i've had several opportunities and found a way to squander each one of them and i'm sitting on the way home i'm sitting there thinking man what if you luck into killing a bird after you pull the trigger which is the only thing you've planned for up until this date because i've never exceeded that point what do you do do you run out there and put your head your, your foot on its head like what do you and so it's so funny that you said it because I don't. Th- I wonder how many people, especially like uh, adult onset hunters, like I wonder how many of them have a similar experience. If there's not someone there I to think tell them what to do, lots of them. Yeah, no, I mean that was never anything that I really heard or read about or anything like, hey, when it's flopping up and down, don't shoot it again. You know, try and try and get control of it and you know stand on its head or neck. It was like. Oh, what do I do? I'm going to blow its brains out. Like, oh yeah, I did that. I mean, literally a headless turkey, like no neck, no, I blew the whole, it was gone. Like there wasn't even parts of it. It was, it like made soup out of it. You, you were bound and listen, you went up there and said, this turkey's not getting away. And you, and you saw to that. Oh buddy. I was, that thing was not getting away. I, I, yeah, that, that bird was not getting away for sure. (laughs) <laughs> hey jay one of the uh one of the things that I, I actually forgot to ask you was kind of about calling maybe to gould's turkeys or like in arizona i mean do they do they are they responding to like yelps or do they respond to gobbles like what how do you call a turkey in in arizona like what what's what are the steps what do you do well you know they Merriam's and Gould's both respond very, very well to box calls. I find that the uh, Rios respond very, very well to slate, you know, pot and peg style calls, slate calls, crystal calls, that kind of stuff, as well as the Gould's and the Merriam's. But, you know, for me, the box call uh, for Merriam's and Gould's is is key. Um, Good, soft, good, you know, sweet yelping. 
you know, one thing I've learned from a lot of Eastern hunters that, you know, Billy Argus, Scott, Scott Ellis, some, you know, great hunters that have come out, Kimmy Hanks of Hanks, uh, uh, Hanks game calls. Um, the Eastern Turkey ha- is a real raspy, real, um, abrasive, you know, real, um, just kind of rough sounding hen where a lot of our Gould's hens and even our Merriam's hens, a lot of times are kind of a more of a real sweet kind of more what your young Eastern Turkey hen. So, you know, advice I would give to people if they're coming to hunt, uh, Merriam's or Gould's is get a kind of a high pitch box call, a sweet sounding, not a raspy sounding, uh, not that we don't have raspy hens, but, um, you know, go with that real sweet, uh, sound. And that tends to call in a lot more birds than I'll have some Eastern hunters come hunt with me and they want to do the calling. And I mean, they just are cutting and they're raspy and our birds will go the other way. They don't, that, that, you know, they're not into that as much as just the sweet, you know, good, pure, uh, you know, like a front end Yelp. I'm not a good mouth caller. Um, you know, I'm, I can do it to get it done, but I, I rely heavily on the friction calls. Uh, and that's, you know, there's nothing that beats a good box call, uh, for me for Goulds or Merriam's turkey. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, you know what, actually I forgot to ask something too. What about decoys? You mentioned that, uh, the Goulds are really aggressive with decoys. Is that always in your arsenal? A lot of people on, on the East coast, because of the pressure that you mentioned, they just forego decoys, altogether and have a, a great deal of success how, how do you go about that yeah so i'm the opposite our birds are you know super um friendly with the decoys um the you know that i use the dave smith um decoys i use the full strutter you know put the real tail fan on there um i'll use a Merriam's fan uh and then i use the dave smith jake i use the dave smith um submissive hen the lane hen and put it in front um, I'll, a lot of times I'll, I'll set up, you know, a Jake on one side, kind of to my right, a, a full strut gobbler on the left. And I'll either, a lot of times in front of the full strut gobbler, I'll set that, uh, laying hen or submissive hen that lays on the ground, kind of perpendicular to the shooter. Um, and what that does, it'll, it, a lot of times those gobblers will come in and come in from the back of a lane hen and it'll give the shooter basically a perfectly broadside shot so that their shotgun pellets are not going to, um, hit that, the fan if that bird strutted up. Um, but yeah, I use decoys a lot. I always am carrying them. Uh, it's very rare that I would go out without a decoy if i'm running and gunning typically i'll just take a hen uh in a in a psd jake uh but that that's another thing if you watch any of those 125 videos uh, on my youtube channel you'll see lots and lots of decoys just getting absolutely pummeled i had uh, a goulds actually peck sit there and i let it peck for over 30 minutes and it ended up pecking all of the paint out of the eyeball um, on the, on the decoy. And, you know, a lot of my Eastern hunters, they're like, and Midwest hunters, they're like, we're not going to use decoys. Cause you know, I've seen so many birds shy away. Um, not the Goulds actually pecked the entire black eyeball, um, pecked every bit of paint out of the eyeball. And then finally my hunter shot it. Um, but just, 
Yeah, super aggressive with the decoys. And, you know, the, the real tail feathers for me on the strutter make a huge difference. Um, you know, they see the, I put the real wings and the real tail feathers and it's just like, it's, it's game over. That's too cool, man. That, that, that to me is like the, the dream is to have a bird come just flying into a decoy and, and hammer it. I, I can't tell you why. Maybe that's just the quintessential way to kill a turkey for like, you know, well, you know, a lot of people think it's cheating and all that. And that's fine. Um, everybody has their own way of doing it. But uh, the more interaction and, you know, if you look at some of the video that I've been able to get, it's just amazing. You know, we've had birds. I had one last year where uh, basically had a five bird stand, uh, killed five birds in one setup. And uh, when the birds, when we, when one of the hunters would shoot a bird, it would kind of flop and then it would lay there and another bird would come in strutting and then it would see the decoys and then it'd see the real tail feathers uh, you know, laying there and kind of flopping in the, in the wind and it would go over and start beating on that. And then that one would get shot. And then another bird would come in. We had a five bird stand. Pretty amazing. That's incredible. Yeah, that is. That's awesome. Well, Jay, we've kept you for quite some time, dude. And I could, I could continue to pester you with questions and ask you for stories until, and, until anytime. <laughs> I'm happy to, I'm happy to chat with you guys. Well, it, be careful offering that because there's a good chance I'm going to take you up on that because uh, I, I need to pick somebody's brain about coos deer and, and mule deer. So We can do that. Picking my brain usually takes about a total of about 30 seconds. But, um... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, right. I, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to tell people where to find uh, your, your podcast and your resources because – I'm scrolling through this YouTube channel right now, and I can just tell you there's not going to be a whole lot of work done tomorrow. <laughs> there's a lot of different stuff between the turkey and the bighorn sheep and the coos, deer, and elk and all that on there. Um, probably the best way is, you know, I'm on iTunes or Google Play. Uh, just uh, type in J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Uh, you can go to my website, jscottoutdoors.com. My Gould's Turkey website is gouldsturkeyhunt.com. Uh, and any more, the best way to get a hold of me or follow what I'm doing is on my Instagram account. That's just flat out J Scott outdoors, all one word. Uh, I also have a Gould's Turkey only Instagram account. And that's again, Gould's Turkey hunt and, or at Gould's Turkey hunt. And then Facebook, I have J Scott outdoors. My personal page is J Scott. And then uh, I also have on Facebook Goulds, that's G-O-U-L-D-S space Turkey Hunt uh, on Facebook. So, yeah, guys, uh, thanks for uh, having me on. It was fun talking to you. Awesome. If you'll hang on one second, I'm going to wrap this up, but I want to chat with you uh, after we do. Y'all, this has been another awesome episode, and uh, now that Jay has offered it, we're going to try and get him back on here uh, in the months to come and, and, and share some more of his wisdom and uh, maybe maybe outline uh, a path for, for Chase and I to go out there and, and harvest uh, the, the gray ghosts of Arizona and, and have a good time. But uh, until next time, y'all get outside, enjoy the outdoors, and we'll see you on the next episode of Chase and Tales Outdoor Podcast. Mm-hmm.